The rise of the machines. A computer outsmarts a human. Could it be the beginning of the singularity? Hello and welcome to the Newsmakers with me, Imran Garta. Computer beats man at thousand-year-old game. Not likely to be headline news, but the victory of a program over a human in the ancient board game Go has sparked intrigue and, in some cases, concern. It shows that a machine has approximated human intuition and outsmarted the best human brain in the game. It's something that scientists hadn't expected to happen for at least another decade. And it's a giant leap for artificial intelligence, showing that machines can learn on their own. But is that something to be celebrated or feared? Today's newsmaker is the machine, as we ask if the singularity, the point at which machines' intelligence surpasses humans, could be one step closer than we had previously thought. Imagine a future where computers could learn to become smarter than human beings. An era in which our intelligence becomes non-biological and trillions of times more powerful than it is today. The dawning of a new civilization that lets humans transcend their biological limitations. An artificially intelligent machine that can build ever smarter and more powerful versions of itself. They call it the singularity. For futurists, it's the dawning of unlimited possibility. I think if we have life extension technologies, if we have cognitive upgrades, people will very quickly realize the benefits and advantages of those. And their apparent, in principle, objections will very quickly disappear. Others believe it could be the start of a nightmare. If humanity has the capability in the next decade or so of creating these godlike capabilities in, in technologies, what on earth is that, you know, what kind of impact will that have on humanity? I mean, so for me, the writing's on the wall. Science fiction writers have long imagined a future where artificially intelligent machines rise up against their human creators. But whether we're building gods or terminators, many scientists agree the future is now a step closer. I think maybe the game ended. No, I don't think so, because it looks like, it looks like uh, he is still counting. No, I think he resigned. Wow, I think you're right. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This was the moment a computer called AlphaGo beat a master of the ancient Chinese game Go. It's not the first time a grandmaster's been humbled by a machine. But what makes AlphaGo different is that it's the first demonstration that machines can truly learn and think in a human way. I was defeated entirely. I had barely taken the lead from the very beginning, and I saw no mistakes made by the computer. Yesterday, I could still say that the computer played Go in a strange manner, but the computer defeated me perfectly today. AlphaGo's victory shocked experts in the artificial intelligence community. Many thought such an event was at least a decade away.
With computing power growing exponentially, a future of artificially intelligent machines that learn from their mistakes now looks closer than ever. poses fundamental questions about the nature of intelligence and even what it means to be human. And while our species is still at the top for now, our days as the best brains on the planet could well be numbered. Jerome Evans, The Newsmakers. Well, joining me now to discuss the possible dawn of the singularity in New York is science writer and former editor of Scientific American, John Rennie. And in Toronto is philosopher, blogger and podcast host, Nikola Danilov. He's been referred to as the Larry King of the singularity. Well, Nikola, now that you've got my attention, growth of AI, is it getting dangerous or not? Well, I think that... Uh Technology is a dual-purpose uh, tool, and it can be used both for good and for evil. And so your question precludes the possibility of good uh, in the way it was formulated. I'm more interested in how can we evaluate the possibility for either outcome, and then how can we smartly steer towards the better one rather than the worst one. Okay. John Rennie, are we in a position right now to properly evaluate in which direction this is going? I, I think that's fundamentally the problem. We really aren't. I mean, it's immensely impressive to see uh, what this uh, new go-playing neural net artificial intelligence has done. It is a remarkable accomplishment. But right now, with artificial intelligence in general, although we see that it is improving very rapidly, I really don't think we know enough about what might be its potential limitations technically or otherwise uh, to really be able to evaluate whether or not this is going to be something that's going to be a fantastic threat to the human race. Mm -hmm. Nicola, I grew up on a steady diet of Terminator. I think it will definitely be a real boon to the sure, human race. Sure, yeah. Nicola, I, I grew up on a steady diet of Terminator 1, 2, 3, and so on and so forth. There's this idea of Skynet, the singularity, the machines become aware. Do you think, Nicola, that it's possible? Well, it is definitely a possibility, but as far as I can tell, it is a relatively remote one for a number of reasons. So first of all, the fact that you grew up watching those kinds of movies is merely due to the fact that those are the kinds of plots that Hollywoods can easily cash out on. Um, and that doesn't make them more probable. It simply makes them more entertaining and more interesting and engaging. So if you write a utopian script for a movie, it's very hard to make it interesting and engaging. And as I said before, technology provides us with both possibilities. I agree with uh, John that it is very hard to say and very interesting to see which way things are going yet. But I think if we're cognizant about the options and if we are deliberate about the direction we want to take, then we can definitely steer towards the better outcome. So. Uh, I, I'm optimistic, actually. Tell me a little bit, Nicola, about that utopia. What will it look like in a tangible sense, given the technologies that are being developed right now? Well, on the upside of things, uh, for example, we can uh, accomplish things such as uh, uh, indefinite uh, uh, lifespans. 
we can populate the universe and spread throughout it the way that uh, Carl Sagan envisioned it uh, 30 or 40 years ago, we can eliminate the, the need for toiling uh, in uh, mind-numbing jobs such as flipping burgers or anything else, uh, which can provide the time and the availability of all of us to creatively engage in all of the activities that we love doing, uh, not merely to make money, but to, to produce something worthwhile. So th the benefits can be uh, very diverse. We can, for example, resolve issues such as uh, hunger. We can resolve issues such as cancer. We can resolve issues such as poverty or global warming. In other words, uh, while there is no guarantee that we would actually solve any or all of those, the potential is definitely there because that's what science and technology has provided us with in the past. The ability to make a difference and mold the and shape the environment to the best of our ability and for the best of our purposes. Okay, John, what I heard there from Nicola sounded very similar I, to a, a, a Christian, sounded, like sounded like a Christian heaven or a Muslim heaven or a Buddhist nirvana. I mean, how much of this is due to us just wanting these things to happen and having this dream of having no problems in life? I think you've put your finger on exactly what is, was the problem that sometimes plagues these kinds of discussions about the idea of a singularity and uh, about uh, the future of AI in general, which is that I think that the danger is that if the speculation starts to wander too far away from what we actually understand that the, about the real facts and the potential technical limitations, then yes, we actually do start to treat the technology as basically a kind of magic. And this is the sort of reason why sometimes people have uh, spoken uh, uh, derisively of the idea of the, of the singularity as the rapture of the nerds. Uh, it's this idea that you know at some point in the future, suddenly everything is possible, that nothing is beyond our reach, and I think that the thing that is maybe the biggest stretch of the imagination about this is that some of the people who are most excited about the idea of the singularity see this happening maybe only a couple of decades away from now. And, and I think that's a huge leap in, in speculation to believe that's possible. Nicola, are you looking forward to the rapture of the nerds? <laughs> well, uh, I would not qualify it as the rapture of the nerds uh, completely, even though there's clearly some overlapping elements there. Uh, I am looking forward to a future where we can resolve our basic problems and we can provide uh, and diminish suffering all around the globe. But let me address some of the issues here. So first of all, we have the issue of, of the timing. To me, uh, that's an important issue, but it's not the main issue. Whether it's 10 or 20 or 30 years away from now, that's besides the point. I'm a philosopher, so in the grand scheme of things, 10 or 20 years makes no difference for our civilization. The more important issues are related to the question of so what? Let's presume that it will happen. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, and how can we steer towards the former rather than the latter? Then the other issue is, of course, um, the issue uh, related to the probability of such outcome. And the probability can be uh, outlined by sort of a survey from the top maybe 200 experts in the field of artificial intelligence. So the agreement among those people is that there's no evidence that would suggest that the singularity is actually impossible. And most of them agree that it will happen at one point or another. And the disagreement 
outcomes as per the timeline, whether it's mm -hmm. three, five, 10, 50, or 100 years away. But again, the more important issue is not when will it happen, but what will happen when it happens. Okay, uh, John, Elon Musk uh, of Tesla fame says, quote, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. Stephen Hawking's also got his reservations about artificial intelligence. Do they have fears grounded in reality? Honestly, uh, when such smart people say things like that, I, I have to kind of shake my head a little bit. I mean, there's no question that a lot of the kinds of technologies that we're talking about, there is a potential capacity for real harm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, trying to make sure that as we continue to develop new kinds of artificial intelligence or any other kinds of technology, that we try to make sure that it has as many safeguards as is appropriate. But let's put it this way. I worry far, far more, and I think it's a far more realistic concern in the meaningful near term that human beings equipped with better technology will pose a threat to the human race rather than the idea that some sort of artificial intelligence that's uh, smarter than the human race will one day mm. decide to make us extinct. Yeah, very interesting. Don't un underestimate um, human I behavior. I just want to come in, Nicola, I want to ask you about whether we can create this balance in having the best of both worlds, where we create great artificial intelligence within the confines of Isaac Asimov's three laws, right? As long as they don't harm us, as long as they obey us, and as long as they protect us. Do you think that we can create that artificial intelligence within that framework, Nicola? Well, I do think we can create a, a similar kind of uh, balanced outcome. I do not think that uh, Isaac Asimov's uh, framework actually works as he showed uh, in all of his books actually and they were literally tool rather than uh, a, an actual tool that worked uh, but the more important uh, thing I think is this technology is amoral what we do with it and how we apply it makes it either moral or immoral and so I entirely agree with John when he says that the danger the highest danger to humanity is actually other humans because we are the creators of that artificial intelligence and that artificial intelligence will be the mirror image of ourselves. It would reflect our fears and it would reflect our dreams. It would have the best and the worst of us. And therefore that's where the danger lies and that's also where the, the possibility lies. So if we can find that balance in ourselves as the creators, as the fathers of that artificial intelligence, we can find that balance in AI and in the singularity too. I believe. So, John, adding a political element to this, is it then more likely to find a highly stratified society, great inequality, where one group of people are exploiting the best of transhumanism, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence, etc., because they've got a lot of money and they, they wield all the power, and they have the rest of society under their boot? I mean, unfortunately, I think that's sort of the more realistic pressing concern. You know, to Nicola's point, I, I get that in the long run, all of these things will, will iron themselves out if we're optimistic about it. But I do think that the timeline of some of these things does become important. And, you know, we, are, we do look at a world that is fantastically stratified already. Um, any, as, these, uh, as these kinds of new technologies arise, there's no question that they will first become available to the, the, the peoples of the world who 
have the most money and the most resources, um, and we can only hope that they would use them for the benefit of everyone, but uh, uh, history suggests that is not always going to be the case. Nikola Danilov and John Rennie, thank you very much for joining us.